listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. of Darshan Talks Pharmacy. And today's interview, today's conversation is going to be with a local celebrity. And I say local because I feel like I have seen his interviews very recently everywhere. He's on podcasts everywhere. He is a social media celebrity as I see it. Um, He's a community pharmacist and LGBTQ health equity educator and advocate. Uh, and, And I'm excited and he is just to be clear, he is looking for local and remote roles in LA. He's actually moving right now with his partner. Uh, he's looking for a role as a pharmacist where he can work with LGBTQ populations. You can find him on Twitter at J underscore farm, or you can find him on his LinkedIn uh, and you can you can see the LinkedIn address. I will also send that address out using the comments section. So hopefully you guys can see that as well. Our guest for today, Jay Holloway. Hey Jay, how are you? I'm doing good, having a wonderful hot summer morning. Well, I, I think it's kind of um, an interesting time to be talking because um, I'm discovering new things about you. Uh, I, I already discovered during our pre-interview, if you will, that you are an illustrator. So not only are you a local celebrity in and talk about trans rights, um, you also are a pharmacist and gifted at that. But on top of that, you actually illustrate. So tell us more about how that came about. So, uh, so ever since I was a little kid, I have adored drawing. I, I could hold a crayon before I could walk and I have been an illustrator all throughout my life. I started doing illustration more professionally in pharmacy school when I should have been studying more, but we, it was it was a great way to relieve stress. I have done professional illustrations for podcasts such as Welcome to Night Vale, which is a which is a ongoing story weird fiction podcast. I've also done covers for the Drabblecast, which is a sci-fi fantasy horror short story podcast. I've also done I've also done something called Splat Books, which are books that have like supplemental stories and characters for tabletop role-playing games such as Dungeons and Dragons. And right now I'm not doing any, I've also, I've also done a couple book covers as well. I really love doing illustration. I'm not doing it currently in terms of commission work since I'm taking more time to focus on my pharmacy work, but it's a lot of fun. I should have gotten my, I should have uh, grabbed a couple of my pieces from from my desk here to show, but yeah, I do, I do watercolor primarily as traditional medium watercolor and pen, but I really do enjoy doing digital work on my iPad as well, because it's just so convenient. I can, I can relax and work on my art when I'm traveling as well. So you, you talk about how you're moving your focus from being a artist, which is, which is a passion of yours that's existed forever to being a pharmacist and um, and now focusing on the the role and 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 sort of the, the focus on LGBTQ communities. But I think one of the conversations I want to have with you is everyone talks about the importance of addressing trans populations. 
what I think would be interesting to talk about is to talk about trans representation as pharmacists. So could you talk a little bit about how many, how many people, do we have any kinds of numbers on how many individuals are either trans or gender diverse? What do those words mean in the pharmacy popular, in the pharmacy community, if you will? So here's the thing, we don't have very much information regarding regarding the percentage of trans and gender diverse people in the pharmacy profession, mostly because our profession is very, our profession oftentimes does not consider that population. When we're doing demographics information, a lot of the times we we take demographics on the sex, MRF, which is a whole other conversation on its own that we need to address. But I think it should be, this is just personal anecdote, but I think it should be said about how when I was in pharmacy school, so just as a little bit of background information, I consider myself trans mask non-binary. Uh, what, what does that mean though? That means that I don't consider myself explicitly a guy, but I'm somewhere in the vague realm of dudeness for for whatever that means. I present more I present masculinely. I prefer I prefer well I present more in what is a traditional white American idea of masculinity. I use he, him, and they, them pronouns. But I would say if you explicitly asked me what is my gender, I would say not quite dude, but dude adjacent, <laughs> really. Um, and so, so when I was in pharmacy school, I was starting to figure out that I was not cisgender. I had figured out that I, uh, uh, I had figured out that I was not straight, and that's a whole other thing that transgender people can be gay, straight, bisexual, asexual. Uh, your gender identity and sexual orientation it it it's not always a one to a one to one mapping so uh, but anyway like i'd figured out i was not straight i was figuring out that i was not cisgender either i and during that time i was convinced that i was the only non-cisgender person in all of pharmacy which i know that sounds absolutely asinine uh, looking back, but I didn't have any other people in my class and there weren't, there were LGBTQ student groups in the main university and at uh, my friend's university, but there wasn't anything specifically within the pharmacy, within the pharmacy school itself. And I felt very alone in this. And additionally, because of because of the medical profession's history of gatekeeping and exclusionary attitudes towards trans and gender diverse people, I also had the thought that me being a pharmacist was somehow antithetical or conflicting with my identity as a trans person. And this brought me a huge amount of distress. And I found another friend who was also trans. And since then, I've been thinking to myself really as my passion that I I want to be the person that my younger self so desperately needed to see in pharmacy school. I want to be the person that other pharmacists and pharmacy techs and upcoming pharmacy students can 
see and realize that, no, you're not alone in this profession. And I want to help create a profession in which trans and gender diverse people are not only commonplace in our field, but also uplifted and accepted. Are there any gender non-binary or trans groups now in the pharmacy community? So we actually, we being myself and several other pharmacy colleagues, we have a up and coming, we haven't gotten our website up yet, but we do have a social media now, a group called Rx Share, which is pharmacists for sex and gender health equity advocacy and reform and we are a we are a global group of members of the pharmacy profession who focus on and advocate for lgbtq issues we are for lgbtq identified and allies uh, we're not for trans and gender diverse people exclusively we're for the entire queer community movement, but I am very actively involved with RX Share. And once we get, once we get the ball rolling in regards to having our website up, we do have a social media, and I can share that with you. Uh, we would love to get more people involved, especially in. I would love to see more people get involved, especially in advocacy in regards to trans rights and making the pharmacy profession better for trans and gender diverse people. I would love to have the the, the, uh, the social media handle. So you said it's called RX Share. Um, so, but do you think that if obviously there, are, I remember going to pharmacy school way before you. I feel old just saying that, but. Um, <laughs> But uh, I remember knowing gay individuals at that time. I remember knowing uh, lesbian individuals at that time. I don't remember knowing about um, trans individuals at that time. Is the journey different, you think? Is, is the representation different? And while there are obviously common battles to fight, are there different battles to fight? And do those need to be addressed differently? Because as, you, as we just discussed, there is a difference between sexuality and gender. And while there are commonalities in those conversations, are there differences that, that simply don't get discussed? I would say a big difference that trans and gender diverse people have to navigate through in the pharmacy profession is that our current logistical paperwork administrative setups are not made with are not made with uh, trans and gender diverse people in mind. I joke with some of my fellow trans colleagues and friends that being trans in the United, at least in the United States, should confer upon you a honorary like administrative business and finance management degree because it is very expensive to be trans in the US. That's not even in regards to health, that's even excluding the massive healthcare costs that we may accrue and the fact that in several states, those may not be covered by our insurance, and that's a whole other topic for a whole other day. Uh, a big thing is if you decide to get your name changed, you're going to have to go through that whole process and inform your inform your board of pharmacy. And what if you haven't had your name legally changed yet? For example, I am still, I sign off all of my prescriptions still under my birth name, People know me professionally in this field under my correct name, Jay, but under my birth name, I still 
I still do all of my licensure and all of my signing. And the, and some people ask me, well, Jay, why haven't you gotten your name changed yet? The reason is because I figured out I was trans mask and figured out that I really wanted to be Jay. I figured out here in Nebraska and Nebraska require this county, at least requires that you have your name publicly published in the newspaper for four weeks. And while I am out to my colleagues out here, there are, I feel like that would be a risk to my personal safety to out myself to a town of 1500 people, uh, especially now in today's current political climate in which trans people continue to be increasingly scapegoated and increasingly at risk of, of violence or retaliation. Additionally, this also makes things more difficult for trans and gender diverse individuals looking to get employment. In addition to the discriminatory hurdles that trans and gender diverse people face, oftentimes it's difficult to have your paper trail correctly go through, especially if you have your name and identity documents changed. And I think back Back before I was in pharmacy school, back in the early 2000s and 90s and 80s, trans people had to, there's a concept within the community called going stealth, which is you, which is you transition and you basically, your entire past career in, in existence is gone. You start completely anew. If you're a pharmacist who has had a, who has had an established career and you want to move you're basically having to start all over and we don't and i don't think we think about pharmacy with that consideration in mind very well and this is also not even going into the prospects of pharmacy students who figure out that they're trans in pharmacy school they have to navigate all of that in addition to going into a very very intensive professional program and a intensive professional program that also requires okay you may need to get new clothes you may also need to have all these other needs addressed and there's so many factors that we just haven't even we haven't tackled head on or even acknowledged that these factors and issues exist and there's there's a lot of work to be done in pharmacy Pharmacy needs to needs to work on that, and we are I would consider us behind compared to other medical disciplines. But hey, it needs to be addressed, and we we need to move forward. So, what talk to me a little bit, a little bit about what other clinical professions have done that is more progressive? One of the things is that in regards to gender affirming healthcare, this is more on the trans and gender diverse people as patients rather than as fellow professionals, but uh, medical institutions have come out in support of gender affirming healthcare. I would like to see pharmacy professional organizations come out in support of it as well. I feel like there's a there's a big sea change right now on us being recognized as healthcare professionals, which we are. We are healthcare professionals. We're part of the team. We should also be providers. However, with that provider status comes a responsibility to be an advocate for your most vulnerable patients. And we can't just stay neutral, especially in a time in which in which trans and gender diverse people are politically persecuted that we can't just be neutral on this. We need to come out in support of 
we need to come out in support of trans and gender diverse people and their care and that this care is evidence-based care and that we will support and follow through with it. Additionally, um, there are also like there are also organizations like the Med Student Pride Alliance, which I contacted them when I was first thinking about thinking about RX Share with my colleagues and asking them what they did. And they're a organization that supports LGBTQ med students, and we need a we need. LGBTQ and trans and gender diverse pharmacy groups and organizations so that we also additionally have political speaking power within our profession so that we can advocate for pharmacy reform that helps these populations as well. I guess I want to start with the basics, which is there are going, going to be some people who go, it's such a small population. Why would we spend the resources targeting this small population when there are much bigger issues to target? There are more people affected, I'm making this up, gun violence. Um, why, why go after addressing the small group's needs when there are so many bigger issues? A couple of things. First of all, I think it's interesting that trans and gender diverse people are posited as simultaneously a group that is so small as to be completely disregarded in terms of our healthcare needs, while simultaneously also being such an intense threat to American values, to the sanctity of sports, to, to parent freedoms, to all of these to all of these things that we need to be legislated out of existence, that in a time in which we have unbelievable amounts of health inequality and gun violence, our time and resources are being focused instead on banning trans kids from being able to use their correct bathrooms, from being able to participate with their peers in sports, to access gender affirming care, which saves lives and reduces suicidality, to, to, in, to preventing LGBT people from doing drag queen story hours to all of these things that were simultaneously too small to be cared about while also so big and destructive apparently to this 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 idea of liberty and freedom and americanness that that all resources need to be focused on our elimination there it's that hypocrisy that i notice a lot and a lot of other uh, trans people knows and additionally things that benefit trans and gender diverse individuals benefit everybody because I really love the work that Dallas Ducar, who she is the head of Trans Health Northampton, which is a Massachusetts gender affirming care clinic. She talks a lot about how care for transgender people is care that ultimately centers a patient's experiences and what they've gone through in a medical profession and their individual needs and opens a dialogue about that. And that care benefits all people, regardless of if they're trans or not. And also care for transgender people is also benefits cisgender people as well, because the forces that try to eliminate transgender people are also forces which impose a very narrow, a very narrow, a very 
a very narrow, white, able-bodied, heterosexual idea of what femininity and masculinity is. And it has been shown time and time again that policies that affect transgender people also affect cisgender people who are not within those very narrow definitions. Uh, if you want a sports example of that, uh, policies which have been banning trans women from sports often also exclude cisgender women who do not fit within narrow within narrow definitions of of white western femininity and so it benefits it benefits gender nonconforming cisgender people heck it benefits it benefits people who are cisgender and and are fine with gender presentations more typical to American society, but hey, maybe they want to be called by a different name. Maybe they want better access to care that affirms their bodies and makes it easier to live your life. And it's the removal of a lot of unnecessary gatekeeping as well. So I, I want to move the conversation uh, uh, to, to, I guess, in some senses, the conversation we were supposed to have, which is <laughs> what, are the, what are the four rules um, in that 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 we should know about uh, in taking care of trans individuals, and in this specific context, trans individuals who want to be pharmacists. So, let could you talk, think a little bit about what that would look like? Because I want to bring it back to what we said, which is there are of, of the very small list of conversations that are happening, the vast majority focus on the needs of the patient, which is great, and I think it's important but very few focus on the needs of the provider. And whether we're talking to pharmacists, I, ideally we are, we are talking to pharmacists, but also nurses and physicians and any other healthcare provider. What would be four rules of engaging with such trans, well, gender diverse individuals in the healthcare professions? I would say the first rule, like number one with a star would be, you need to establish an environment that is un that is undebatably, not just undebatably trans affirming. Right now, unfortunately, it is the exception rather than the rule that our institutions, our schools, our businesses, places where we provide care are trans affirming. And you need to, people are going to assume that your place is not trans and gender diverse affirming unless you, un, unless you, undebatably make it so. Put up signage in your areas that you are supportive of trans and gender diverse people, like a pride flag, for example. Have everybody, if they feel comfortable, have pins with pronouns on them. You also need have visible student groups in your pharmacy schools. Also talk about trans and gender diverse people in your pharmacy profession as more than just patient cases. Have have avenues in which trans and gender diverse students can provide feedback without retaliation. A second point to this would also be that we need to we need to talk about our current conceptions uh, or our current views of professionalism and apoliticality in the pharmacy profession because a lot of the times people will say, well, we need to be apolitical, but when there are, when trans and gender diverse people are being litigated against, being apolitical 
it shows. And trans, my trans, fellow trans colleagues in pharmacy profession, we are very we are very much watching how we continue to be considered not an issue and that trans patients are considered not an issue. And it's very frustrating and it can be very disheartening, but I'm going to continue yelling about it anyway, regardless of what happens. And also analyzing how professionality often often is exclu excluding of trans and gender diverse people, how we consider professional to be dressing in a way that that coincides with your assigned gender at birth or coincides with a very narrow definition. And we need to we need to reflect upon that and we also need to dismantle that. Additionally, I think to make our profession more trans and gender diverse, we also need to consider systemic barriers which prevent trans and gender diverse people from accessing our pharmacy schools. Because of discrimination, trans and gender diverse people are also more likely to be in poverty. They're also more likely to, to deal with depression and anxiety. And I will emphasize due to discrimination. And I always emphasize that because oftentimes people will cite these social, these, these minority health stresses, and they don't say due to discrimination. And then transphobes or anti-trans people who are trying to litigate us out of existence will then take those health statistics and frame it as some inherent quality of transness. And we need to we need to be reaching out with material support for trans members of our pharmacy. We need to scholarships, for example, scholarships and direct outreach to trans and diverse, trans and, di and gender diverse people interested in our profession. And also structurally, what we can do is make sure that our make sure that our health insurance plans are covering of gender affirming health care. There are many states such as Nebraska, where I practice, where Medicaid explicitly excludes gender affirming care from their insurance and also explicitly excludes uh, gender affirming care from state government health care workers. You're all, if you're a pharmacist who, or not a pharmacist, if you're a well, pharmacist or pharmacy student, especially who is relying on Medicaid currently for your, for your health care needs as you're getting through school, you're out of luck if you're in one of those states. So you have to, you have to contend with either not getting that affirming care that you need, which can have a which does have a major detriment on your health or being able to pay for pharmacy school. And I feel like I've kind of, I feel like I've kind of blended between those four points, but I guess a big point about it. Oh, here's a good fourth point. A big fourth point is that these changes to our pharmacy profession will not happen unless you have trans and gender diverse voices centered and as leadership within within the pharmacy profession you part of making your profession more trans and gender diverse inclusive is uplifting trans voices and putting don't have them just as consultants have them come in and be leaders in your profession because they're going to be bringing their lived experiences a lot of times we talk about trans people as this category. We talked about this prior to starting the podcast that 
we talk about trans people just as a patient demographic. We never talk about trans people as members of our community that contribute research, that contribute voices. There is a massive decades long breadth of community knowledge that trans people have independently collected and brought together before medical establishments uh, cared about trans people or or considered their identity legitimate. And I think it is very bad of not just pharmacy, but medical professions in general to be ignoring that evidence. I, uh, if I, if for some reason I was, I don't know, the head of medicine, I would be reaching out to these communities and going, hey, you have an intense amount of community knowledge. What can we do to help collect that, to help, to help collect and apply our resources to furthering that knowledge. And all of the people who have who have been collecting that knowledge over the years, bring them into the fold, bring them into our team because they've been doing all of this medical knowledge collection without on nothing, just on resources and at great personal risk. So you don't just you don't want to talk about trans and gender diverse people in the profession without bringing them in, without having them at the table leading these conversations. I love it. I love the, actually, I think you came out with five, just to be clear. So it wasn't really four, <laughs> it was five. I'm going to repeat them for those people who are trying to keep track. One was have a trans affirming environment. Um, talk about what profession, uh, professionalism or apoliticality means and the impact of that. Um, address the systemic barriers from entry and access for the pharmacy profession. Uh, and you kind of did a sub, but I'm gonna call this a separate point, but address the issue of health insurance uh, for, yes. for gender affirming uh, care. And lastly, have trans voices in leadership. Um, it, sounds like, it sounds like a great list of five to go into uh, Rx share and and have that be principle principles that that get addressed and get uh, get discussed um, before we go because we are well past time and we can keep going forever. Um, but before we go, do you have any parting words? I would say if there are any trans or gender diverse pharmacy students or pharmacists or or pharmacy techs, or anybody involved in the pharmacy profession who is trans or gender diverse and feels like they're alone out here, feel free to reach out. You're not alone. I've got your back in this. And whether or not you feel safe to be out or want to be out, who you are is still valid. And even if you're not out, you still bring your unique lived experiences to our field and you make our field a better place just by your presence here. I know it seems very lonely out here and it can seem a lot more scary, especially as we enter a very turbulent time politically in the history of the United, I mean, we've always had politically turbulent times, but it definitely feels very prescient now for, for it's, it, it feels very prescient now, but we're, we're in this together and we're going to make pharmacy a better profession and we're going to be the people that our younger selves needed to see. I love it. I, I do want to remind people, yeah, if you are looking for, uh, looking to raise awareness and are looking for a pharmacist, 
in the Los Angeles area, um, Jay is moving to the area. So if you are looking for someone local, uh, he's available. If you're looking for someone who is remote, he's available all over the world uh, and is looking to work with LGBTQ uh, populations. So uh, this will be very exciting. Thank you so much for coming on, Jay. Uh, I hope we can have you on again soon. Thank you so much. And thank you for giving me a platform to, to bring my voice to. Absolutely.